What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, blues people? Uh, this is a long time coming that I have an opportunity to sit with this fabulous sister, a blues singer, spiritual singer, gospel singer, first lady of the church. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first lady of the church, and and doing some some amazing work in the church community, the black community, the blues community, and I can keep going. Let's please welcome. Mrs. Leah Gilmore. What's happening, sister? Hey, 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 you. I am so, so excited to finally get the opportunity to sit down with my brother. Yes, I'm so proud of you. Thank and you I'm honored to be here. Yes. So let's, you know what? <clears throat> let's start with your story. Hmm. <laughs> Considering we're celebrating Women's Ooh. Month. And, and I like to make it a point to celebrate Black women. Let's start with your story. How 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 did you get into the church first and foremost? Hmm. Well, you know, um, like so many of us, I was born into the church. You know, I was brought to the church. I don't even know when I didn't go to church. You know, and I grew up. I grew up in Mount Hope Baptist Church in Baltimore City, hmm. and you know, a lot of the the Southern immigrants or whatever we want to call you know during the Great Migration came up and they just reestablished those same sensibilities in Baltimore. And I grew up very much my I'm first generation above, above. Well, no, Baltimore is not above the Mason-Dixon line. We're still down south, actually. That is true. <laughs> first generation above Virginia. <laughs> my parents, both of my parents are from North Carolina. And, you know, I grew up with, with that food, which I still wear all over the place. My arms, you know, turkey necks. <laughs> Oh, no. Hog balls. <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah, I grew up in the church and uh, I met my husband in church and we got married. I was 18 and uh, had my son and we're still married 37 years later. And uh, it's such a blessing. It's, it's for me, the church is so foundational beyond the doctrine. But that's just spirituality. And, and we as Black folks, how so much of what we do, even right now, Lamont, even the outreach and the engagement with the community, with getting vaccines, mm. in many communities is being led by the church. With all our positives and negatives, it's still such a powerful institution. Now, I work for a Presbyterian church, and I'm Presbyterian. And I, I, I really, really love it. But my sensibilities are still, you know, when I want to say amen, I'm going to say amen. They call the, <laughs> they call the Presbyterians the frozen, the frozen chosen. <laughs> and I ain't frozen, honey. Okay. Right. Because, you know, our, our tradition of church is hooting, hollering and letting it loose at that's any right. given moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I think that's wonderful. And I think the unfortunate thing about our ex being expressive is often confused with being um, part of that church, which has moved away from the principles of Jesus and love and justice and peace. You know, and I dare them co-opt my faith. So I am, I am committed to being expressive, to when I want to say amen, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, and not being confused with what we call evangelicals right now, because mm. they do not own that. Well, you know what? That's something that we can get right into, because 
we're hearing many things today or at least in the last 10, 20 years. One of the things, and I'm actually uh, working on a, a, a project in the ethnography space about this, uh, the small black storefront church and how mm. for, throughout the last 20 years or so, I'll say 20 or less, it's began to be, at least appear to be, uh, wiped out by the mega churches. Now mm. we always had television mm. evangelicals, right? That's right. Oh, but but now it, it just seems that is the 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 culture of pop church narrative. Pop churchy. I think that's the perfect way to say it. Mm. It's pop church, um, and. Again, I cannot grossly define anything because no one thing is right, completely right. It's a whole yin-yang kind of right. thing in life. But I think that the smaller churches, my husband's church is a small church in the middle of a of a, of a a Black neighborhood, which has been Black for a long time, and who, who you know, is, is socioeconomically challenged many times. And so the church is a bit of an anchor in that area. And we still drive past storefront churches and, you know, they still exist. But the television narrative and what we visually see of churches is we see these big 10,000 member churches who are really stadiums. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we remember that it is not the money or the fame that should be driving our dialogue and our relationship with Christ. And see, and because you you hit it on the nail. That's what what I was, I guess, alluding to. Mm-hmm. But let's just jump right into it. Then we're going to return back to your story. Don't okay. think that you no, don't that's think okay. you I distracted like me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the prosperity ministry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and as well as because so many small churches are losing bodies to uh i guess mega churches whether they're mm-hmm. going to the physical location or watching it on tv we have prosperity ministry that's te- that's, that's, that's perpetuating if you pray you'll become a millionaire and then we have on the other side the smaller churches that are suffering and they may not be a store for it mm-hmm. they could just have two thousand people or a thousand people or, or even less or, or 200 or right 10. Right. right. And and they begin um like in our day it was very strict, if mm-hmm. you remember. But mm-hmm. now it's a little bit more lenient and they're allowing a little bit more secular activity to try to get mm-hmm. bodies in the seat. What do you think about that whole dichotomy, the 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 uh um um prosperity ministry and, and the the turning or allowing of of less rules so that they can actually get people in. Okay. First I'm going to go with the less rules. Okay. I am not I I'm a fan of less rules actually. You know, <laughs> seriously, because when I was a little girl, you couldn't wear pants. Right. You know, there were so many things we couldn't do as women. We couldn't go into the pulpit, you know. There's so much and I think uh the rules are often made by human beings, you know, by people. And that's what we do and are are not often biblical or they can be construed as biblical. However you would like to make it work for you, you can make it work for you. So I do like the fact that so many churches are opening up and seeing, because you know, when Christ rose, 
the first person he talked to was a woman. That is true. That's right. And a woman went and told the others who really didn't believe her at the beginning who that he has risen. So I believe that Christ had no problem with women being leaders within the church. I think that that developed. So I like to I like to see the openness and the welcomingness. Now, the there's still things, there's still issues, but we have issues with everything. Everything right. is something. The prosperity preaching to me is mega disturbing. You know, it's because so many of their members are poor people, are people struggling, or they're, you know, middle class, working class, whatever type of people who should not be buying Lear jets for a man or woman. You know, that's not how you show the love for your pastor. In my opinion, again, everyone, my brothers and sisters out there, it's my opinion, you know, but I think that Christ, you know, what did he do? The only time that God got angry, the only time that Christ got angry was when he went into the, um, the money changers place, you know, right. And he pushed it all aside. This could not be done in his name or in the holy place. In God's house. What do you do? In God's house. Sinning in God's house. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you know, that's that's ironic that you bring that up because it, do you have a, I have this inclination and I really Mm -hmm. didn't want to say that until I asked the question, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's what was on my spirit. That that, that, uh, a good portion of the people uh, for for many reasons, I don't think anyone does anything in, intentionally all the time. Mm-hmm. But a good portion of the people have has not read the actual Bible. Right. They've so, listened to the pe- preacher. Correct. You know, and so that's that preacher's interpretation. And so my husband is so good with that because he always says, "Don't take what I say as gospel. Read the actual gospel." For yourself, and I really admire that. So do I. So, so do you think? Now we we know that Scripture also says that those in the position of shepherd as pastors mm-hmm. will be punished severely for leading people astray. So right. we we can we we could just put that out there. So do you think the the people who don't read or haven't read and don't know that or don't uh, uh, relate prosperity ministry to the scripture that you just shared with us mm-hmm. of, of the, these corrupt folk utilizing the pulpit for, for, for money exchange. Do you, do you think if more people read the scripture, they would be able to put two and two together? Or are, are we just so in a situation that would, I don't want to say downtrodden because that's used towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're in a, I don't want to say desperate either. What's a good word? We, 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 we're just, um, one day at a time. Yes. Hope. Yes. And you know, when someone is preaching hope, sometimes, you know, we search for release and we search for, you know, that it's going to be okay and it's going to be better. So I think it's really, it's difficult for me to see someone take advantage of people who are in need of hope and who are in need of wanting a different life, who are in need of change, you know? And so I manipulate that to say, 
you will get change and you will get hope if you send me a thousand dollars. You know, that to me is so incredibly unfortunate. I, 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 um, I dare not judge those who attend churches and who attend mega churches because I know we're all walking into a big door or a little door for the same thing. Correct. You know, so I, I think that we have to it is it is incumbent upon the servant, the preacher, the pastor to speak truth and to speak the truth of love and acceptance you know, to speak the truth that there is hope in Christ. There is, there is victory. There are all these things, but you don't have to buy them. Right. You don't right. have to buy them. You don't even need the preacher to tell you how to do it. You just need to step back and say, I want this life and I want this life right there, you know. And for me, even though I am a Christ-centered proponent, of the Lord, of the Lord that we believe, but I do not believe that I know the answer to everything. So I do not shun other people's beliefs at all because we just all trying to get to heaven. Whatever right. we, we call it, Valhalla, whatever we got to call it, we're just all trying to make it through. That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic that it, Valhalla in New York, that's where one of the major prisons is at. But anyway. <laughs> oh, it is. That's right. I know that. <laughs> Why did they choose that date? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, at one time, the church was the holder of vital records of black folk. Right. Ah, yes. Because we were they, in the space. That's right. right. Because we were in a space where segregation, which. We weren't yet human. Right. I mean, we had just started coming out of being three fifths of a person annotated, put into the Constitution. Correct. You know, and Correct. so we, we didn't have birth certificates. I remember my father, before he found his, my father, now this isn't just one generation, before he found his birth certificate, he was really not completely sure how old he was. Mm. And, you know, he came from this little town um, north of Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And so this was a constant thing. And it's a narrative that hasn't changed in some places, unfortunately. That is correct. So, do 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 you uh, sh should the church still play this role? I, I believe, and I could be wrong, but one of the reasons um, it appears that uh, a lot of the younger generations have moved on, or not so invested as our parents and as we were uh, growing up. Could could be because of integration, not having mm -hmm. having the option to mm -hmm. get your vital records and things like this um, in the quote unquote court of law and stuff like this. Do you think that plays a role in 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 what a lot of people are claiming as the church is not center piece of the black community, which I don't fully believe, but I think you understand. Yeah. What I'm and that's a big question. I mean, I don't think I don't think the church should have to have the responsibility to keep vital records for us. I mean, they should not own that. The, we are equal people in this equal, if not more. No, nah, we're equal people in this country and this country should recognize it and treat us as such. So we should not help them by making the church responsible for our vital records. Now, that being said, I think that a lot of people, I mean, I, I think even younger people of our generation, before and after and next, always go through a moment of questioning. Because, you know, there's this 
way of, well, maybe I don't want to be there. Maybe I don't want to do it like this. Maybe I don't want to do it like the church says. But the thing about it is, once you have that experience as a kid indoctrinated into your being, I've seen so many people come back. But you come back full of a healthy faith, not of a forced faith. Right, which is a difference. It's a, it's a difference. So let's jump back to your personal story because... <laughs> You, you you sing for the church. You're the director of the music at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And you traveled the world singing gospel. Yeah. Where, how did that start? Walk us through all this. <laughs> Honey, you got about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, it is maybe the most unlinear story ever. You know, uh, I, again, I went to all girls high school. You know, I sound like, oh, I was born in a log cabin. You know, <laughs> but, now I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, but it was very empowering. But right after I graduated and I was at, I went to Lincoln University, I was on a scholarship for for music and biochemistry. I was a wow. double major. I never did biochemistry. I never did it. <laughs> but um, it was a great thing. But I was pregnant and I came back home and I got married and um then I said, oh, my God, I need to do something. My husband was always very supportive. Was like, you got to go to school. So I went to school. I went to school for music first. Then I decided, hmm, I don't need a degree to sing. So, But I studied. I got all the, the classes. And then I got my degree in political science and economics. So I spent a lot of time working on the Hill. And then, I, long story short, in my early 30s, I became the deputy director of the ACLU. Oh, wow. Yeah, the ACLU in Maryland was great. And while I was there, though, the Internet was starting to explode. So during my downtime, if I not so downtime, I would be on the computer on this Blues L listserv. That's what it was called. It was called Blues L. And it was a listserv. And it was all these people all around the world. It was so exciting. And the only reason I got interested in blues is because I was cast as a Ma Rainey-ish type woman, I did musical theater to get myself through college. Oh, wow. And, the, and I was doing research on women, you know, trying to find out women in blues. I couldn't find any information on women and the blues. Mm. So I was like, somebody needs to do something. This is crazy. Then I said, well, maybe I could be that somebody. So here I am at the ACLU on this listserv. I meet all these people. Long story short, I get invited to Europe. I think they, I was classically trained singer. So I thought they wanted me to come in and sing, you know, uh, Schumann. But they wanted me to go and do some gospel. They wanted to hear Mahalia Jackson. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> okay. That was Mark Borms, my friend in Belgium. And he's still very much been my accompanist for about 25 years over there. Oh, wow. And when I got there, somebody heard it and things just exploded. We ended up doing gospel concerts all over Belgium just for one organization, raising money for people, victims of tuberculosis and leprosy in Africa, um, the South America and Asia and some Mm. some of the North America. And I was like, look at this. Look at this music, this music that comes from the fields, you know, spirituals, because it was just spirituals and gospels. And this music, who would have thought that this girl from Baltimore you know, would be standing at a cathedral in Brussels singing, you know, Were You There? Mm. Singing these songs, singing these songs, singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. 
because these songs were practical songs for us. These were not entertainment songs. Right. These songs were songs that got us through. They were also songs that community. When we said wade in the water, we were telling each other, Harriet Tubman's coming to get you, so you better walk through the water so your blood so the bloodhounds can't pick up your scent as you go. So all these songs, and they were received, even though people sometimes had no idea what the words were. Mm. But see, we don't laugh in black and we don't cry in white. We've got these souls that communicate with each other. And they that's beyond language. Yes. And that's what I think that's what Black Americans have gifted this world with. Something beyond language. You know, something so powerful. Something's prophetic. You know, the we are prophetic people. Yes. Just something so amazing. And I am so blessed that I've had the opportunity to travel the world and do our music. That's what I do. And I'm just feeling so, I mean, it's wild to be in Russia and Siberia singing Oh Happy Day Wow, with a bunch of Russian school kids and they're singing it from their heart. Like wow. all of us would. So do, do you feel like the, 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 initial Fisk Jubilee singers when hmm. you go out there and do this? Oh, my Lord. They inspired. What is an inspiring story, you know? And you talk about the level of racism that they dealt with right. while traveling. And most of it while traveling in America, you know? they. Had, but we know that story, so we right. don't have to go far into that. <laughs> but the Fisk Jubilee singers not only took the spirituals around the world, they took the spirituals around the world. I mean, and so they played for kings and queens who and just blew people's minds. But they put it in a format that is not just the format you heard in the field. We call it SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. They sang these spirituals chorally. And I mean, you talk about the heavens opening up. They they are so incredibly inspirational. I, w- I hope everyone who's listening goes out and looks up Fisk Jubilee singers. You make a distinction between um, the the Phil Hollis style uh, black spiritual and the choral the choral hymn style black spiritual. Could you break that down for us? Okay, and again, this is not my um, musicology moment. This is more <laughs> how I feel about it. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, and actually, yeah, I will make a distinct, a, dis- a direct distinction in that. I am deeply attracted to the field holler style, as we can call it, you know, the style where we were talking gutturally to our Lord. You know, we were talking gutturally to each other where it was our whole body speaking. You know, I I am deeply attracted to that. But that being said, I believe all music is important and, you know, all, all ways of singing it. And when you take, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, and you put it into a SATB choral form, it's still glorious. It's still glorious. It does not lose any of it. In fact, I started this um, this uh, initiative called Umoja Musica. Mm. And Umoja means unity. And you know Umoja, it means unity in Swahili. And it's the first principle of Kwanzaa. And what we do is we take African-American traditional music and we mix it with traditional music from around other cultures around the world. Mm. 
And so we're partnered with people in Scotland. So we our first our first recording was called Umoja Gaelica, where we mix African American spirituals and gospel with Celtic and Gaelic songs and, and stuff. Oh wow. And it was just amazing. What it shows is music speaks to we speak to each other through music so much easier and is so much more accessible than me talking like this right now because I know I'm talking a lot because I'm so excited to be here with you. But I think, but we have to be intentional. And so the people who wrote the the, the spirituals intentionally in that style knew that it would be accessible to more people where they were at that time. Right. This is how I I believe. But I mean, we have have absolute greats, Moses Hogan, so many absolute greats who um, arrange spirituals. In fact, um, the guy from that that television show, Amen. Right. He was the older guy, you know. He was very much a part of the whole spiritual movement. Wow. That's that that's one of the fun facts that I love about this show and, and speaking to people in, in in the community. Let's let's so now as a are you the musical director, the choir director, or mm-hmm. all of the above? No. I am the musical director. I'm the first service music director. Uh, and I am the minister for racial justice and multicultural outreach. So Ooh. I have two positions. Yes. That, that, okay. So wait, because I, I want to get to the second one next, because that's <laughs> going to be long and deep. I, I want to ask about as a musical director for those watching for, mm-hmm. in the church. And I say that specifically like that because majority of our greatest uh musicians and singers come out the church that's right what does it take what is it that you have to know about music and what is the style and or training that makes the best of the best come out of the church hmm well for i was i was studied so I, but, you know, and I trained and I had, um, I was, I'm a pianist. I play piano. I don't play that well, but I play well enough. But let me preface it all by saying, I don't believe you need a degree or deep training to be a powerful musician or singer and or singers or musicians in a church, in the church. And it's a, and sometimes it goes around um, toward faith traditions you know, some of the most amazing musicians I've ever worked with in my life have cannot read music. Mm. Michael Jackson couldn't read music. That is true. So, you know, he would tell people, this is how it should sound. I mean, he was genius. You know, with all his foibles and difficulties, he, he was still genius with what he did. And um, I think that in the Presbyterian tradition is very formalized, you know, there's books and papers and and scores and all these things, which I appreciate as well. But when I do gospel music workshops with churches, especially churches and choirs from other cultures, I do not bring paper. Mm. Because I said, you're going to learn this like I learned it. Because that's another cultural experience as well. And when people realize that they can be free in approaching music, you can see the you can see the freedom start coming out. They stop being here and they start being up here right? when Present. performing. So I think our call as music directors is to try to bring out um, whatever style it is, be it Bach 
or be it, you know, Bessie, whatever is whatever is happening to try to make it authentic, authentically real, authentically soulful. I didn't say soul music, but soulful. Because everything, I mean, if I'm singing an aria or if I'm singing, you know, um, Amazing Grace, you know, that whatever I'm singing, it should come from my soul. That is true. That is true. I dig it. So now, <clears throat> Minister of Racial Equality, did I say that right? Racial Justice. Racial yes. Justice. And Multicultural now, Engagement. Multicultural Engagement. This yes. Yes. is that that is like so much to unpack. Mm-hmm. Right? Go ahead so now. <laughs> and it's coming <laughs> well, out of the church because this is, this is ministry, yeah. right? This is ministry. So, so let me ask you, um, as you explain to us what this entails, also answer this question for me because as much as it's taught uh, God isn't a respecter of color, and we don't need to think about these things in the church. But the the, the civil rights movement, the, the the black liberation movement, has always been based around the church, even right. before the eighteen hundreds. Right. So, mm-hmm. so how important is it to actually uh, head on um, um, confront? racial injustice through a ministry? Hmm. That's a big old question. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I think it's monumentally important. I mean, if not the church, then who? We, Our foundation is love and justice, equity and equality. These things should, is what we represent Jesus. This was what Jesus was about, you know? So of course it should be a ministry within the church. And what's so interesting in my church where I, where I am working and where I am ministering is a majority white, wealthy church, Mm. but it is multicultural. I mean, I would say it's 20%, you know, people of color, black people and other, and people of color. We call it BIPOC now, B-I-P-O-C. You know, black, black indigenous, indigenous people of color. Right, 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 right. right. So, so many it, acronyms, I can't keep So going. many. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, I'm getting too old for these acronyms. Let me yeah. tell you, don't throw something new at me because I, I don't know. I just can't say it anymore. But um, I think that our church is a beautiful church. It's in the, but the neighborhood that we're in does not reflect the demographics of the church. Mm. We are in a, a majority black neighborhood, you know, with dynamic, dynamic churches all around us. Yet we feel we must be intentionally engaged with the neighborhood so that not just to show what we can do for you, but what they can do for us. So that's why it's not, it's not outreach. It's engagement. Right. Outreach right. goes one way. Correct. And engagement goes both ways. And so, so we also want to, right, it's reciprocal. And, you know, oftentimes in the black communities or any communities of color, we have white people come in and tell us what we should do or tell us what they have done. And now we want you to adapt to it. When you engage, everyone's at the table at day one. Yes. And everyone's making the decisions together at day one. So, And I, I mean, I admire, I admire that they have decided decided to put the resources in that that racial justice is so important 
that they have put the resources in to hire me full time and to create that and allow me to create all this programming. In fact, you were a part of it. You that's you right. came to that's right. You're Heidi, you're a legend. You're now a legend <laughs> at the church. Oh, they loved you so much. Loved you so much. I really appreciate that. I appreciate being part of it and, and being part of our story and 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 all of the above. I, I have to ask a question because you, you, you said it's, it's a predominantly black neighborhood with mm-hmm. a predominantly white church in the middle. So the two questions is how long has the church been there? And is, is this um, equated to gentrification? Um, I think it's, you know, it's so easy for me to say yes, but I don't think it's that simple. The church has been there, man, over a century. Wow. I mean, it's an old church. It's been there long. So it's seeing different manifestations of the neighborhood. You know, behind the church is a very wealthy area. It's just what happens in cities. The, it's unfortunate, but still, you know, I, when I when I talk about black neighborhoods, I refuse to take that narrative as poor us. Right. Because there's still so much joy within those neighborhoods. What is poor, not us, is poor, you better fix yourselves, is this case of redlining, you know, intentional, intentional um, keeping out people of color and all the other um, legal, they've made legal, all the other mechanisms that have been used by our governments and folks to make sure that neighborhoods stay a certain way in a certain place. But, um, this particular name, but I actually grew up not in a neighborhood adjacent to it. So I've always been here. I've always been around it. But I think that realizing that we are a part, we are not, we are not an island, you know, and they know that. And, and we're not, a, but now that we know it, but now we have the resources to not only know it, but to be it, but to right. be part of it. And so in a part of our, a part of our, um, ministry is to educate the members about how they should, what they should know. We talk very much, very open about whiteness. Mm. Whiteness is not the color of skin. Whiteness is a thing. Whiteness is not just a concept. It's a thing, you know? And um, we also, we have a book club, you know, but they say when white people feel that they need to discuss racial justice or something, they start a book club. (laughs) Well, we have a book club. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but we have action behind the the behind that action. Uh, the first book was White Fragility, so we went red head on about talking about how white fragility is so stagnating and getting things done. Mm. You know, so I I deeply admire them to realizing that they need to change. Because Maya Angelou says something that always it always rings in my head. Maya Angelou said, "When you know better, you do better." Yep, that's right. So you can't say you don't know, right? But, so that's biblical as well, right? If yeah. you didn't know the works of my father, then you would not have been. But right, right. So, so let me ask you: What about us, our people? Right? Because not usually in these conversations, um, we we we're, we're we're talking about how whiteness should adjust, how whiteness should do this. And and rarely do we speak about how we 
um, respond to things and how we should be accountable for things, right? Um, for what for many reasons. How? Uh, what would be a, 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 How would you encourage black folk to respond to people that are not black working to 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 um, um, mend or better interactions, relations, and resources. Um, that's a that's a, another big question, and I have an immediate answer, but I want to have a more thoughtful one. Okay. First, I want to preface it again by saying, I think the onus is upon white people to get themselves together, and I don't think that black people are going to fix them. Right. They need to fix themselves. That's first. Black people, we see generation after generation. And we were reading the book Cast, and it's so brilliantly, brilliantly said because cast, it's really like a caste system here. You know, caste is the bones and racism is the skin, as um, Isabel Wilkerson said, where we have this agreed upon social construct that white people are the upper caste and black people are the lower class caste with Asians and other people in the middle somewhere. Right. So what we have to remember and what we have to be told and what we have to empower our kids with is that we are equal human beings. And once we have are equal human beings, and we know that, it empowers us, us to move forward as a as a, a equitable person. You know what I mean? We we don't look as white as right. You know, there's still pockets of folks who believe that if I have a boss, I, that boss better be white. You know, right? There's still, right. Unfortunately, I mean, or the whole thing about dilute. We're all we're black people. That's who we are. You know, and some of us are Native people. I've I, I just been reading recently about Native Black. I think you've discussed that about Native. At the um, program that you invited me on, yes. Yes, exactly. Exa it was wonderful. And I've been reading more about that just so I can understand where it's coming from. Because it's unfortunate to me when I hear people say, even though if it's true, we're Black Americans, we are so mixed up. We are we are mixed up with so much so much of everything, but if I say, "Oh, my great grandfather was Irish," or "Oh, my grandmother is Italian," if I say that, that needs to be a fact. That doesn't need to be a fact. That makes me better, right? And that's we. I think again, empower ourselves with house. We are the strongest of the strongest of the strongest of the strongest. Look what we survived since 1619. Look what we have survived. And when white folks are trying to do better, let's give them some room to do better. You know, give them some room to do better because they need to do better, but we can't fix them. Right. We can tell you the tools. We can give you the situation. We can tell you why why what happened on January 6th was about race. Right. When they stormed that, when they stormed the Capitol, 
That's what it was about. So much of everything in this country is about race. We never, ever dealt with it. We never dealt with slavery. We never dealt with the ramifications of slavery. And it's not just slavery, direct terrorism for years and years and years. This is why I think white folks need to fix white folks. Because look, we went from slavery, 1865, we got you know free. And they say, okay, go ahead. You're free. What you going to do? What you going to do? You would have killed me if I learned to read. You took away my musical instruments. You know, you made that illegal. I couldn't drum. And then with Reconstruction, so much wonderfulness was happening. We were getting elected officials. Then what happens? White people get scared. They create the KKK. And so then lynching. Right. Then we have years of, um, till 1954, we have Jim Crow laws legally. You know, and we're still extremely segregated. There's so many issues. And so now what we deal with now... The biggest issue right now in this country with terrorism is white people's terrorism. Mm. That's they're talking about that right now in the Capitol. Well, they 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 are, and um, <clears throat> I just to keep it as we say to keep it a buck. That's just been the terrorism. Yes, around the world for a long time. Um, so is there a space where? I have to play devil's advocate. Is there a space where black folk are responsible for anything in this yes. situation? Yes. <laughs> We're responsible. For, yes, most definitely. I mean, because we are a part of, we are a part of the greater culture. We cannot, we're not excised from anything. I mean, we have a responsibility to be good citizens, you know, Period. Period. I mean, it's it's we're responsible for the realizing that education rocks. You know, we're responsible for changing the narratives. We're responsible for not calling our women bitches and hoes. We are responsible for so much. We're responsible for us. We are. They can't fix us. Right. We can't fix them. And indifference, just like fixing, empowering. They can't empower us. We must empower each other. So when we get something, we got to give back. We got to reach back. It's not even always reaching down. Sometimes it's reaching over. We can't be scared that somebody's going to take our place when we are in a position to help them. That is correct. So now I, I just, you, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to circle back to as we begin to wrap up. The, the role of the woman in the church, because uh, <laughs> this has been brought to my attention a couple of times uh, recently. And, you know, how I was raised, um, I, I guess I didn't fully, I don't say acknowledge, but see that because the head of my household was always a woman because, mm -hmm. you know, my mother raised me. Mm -hmm. Like um, so many of us. Right. Right. Um, I, I was blessed. I mean, I had a father, a strict father. I'm an only <laughs> child. So... Oh, that, yes. That, yes. <laughs> um, yes. And recent, uh, last year, I believe, either, no, it was 2019 or 2020, a friend of mine was, was quite livid because his cousin, which is a, a, a woman, she was, uh, I think, awarded, she, was, she became bishop or head pastor. And, and there was such a, a pushback because it says the cloth says that women should not be in this position. And again, 
it's it's a little weird to me because the church I grew up in, you know, when the head pastor of my era passed, his daughter and wife ran, mm -hmm. you you know, so I, the, I I just didn't understand this, you know, and then I had to go back and look, and there's the so there's a time when women, apparently still now are not supposed to have these roles in clergy. So now is this the black church or is this the entire, forgive me for using this term, industry of church, right? Because yeah. there is a business I think, part. I think it's an industry. I mean, I, I think there's a church industrial complex, definitely, mm. you know, that exists. Um, you're frozen again? Oh, no. Yes. I hear you, but there you now. Okay. Okay. There you go. Yeah, you're back. Okay. So no, I, I think that's a, a perfect term. I think that that's thinking that should it's time is up, really. I mean, because a lot of what was written in the Bible is historical for that time at that moment and in that context. We see we see what Jesus, as I said earlier, we see how Jesus perceived women. He didn't say, woman, go down, go sit down over there. I can't talk to you, you know? Right. And even though his 12 disciples were men, Mary Magdalene was his most beloved um, person that he worked with. I mean, person that he worked with, that sounds so crazy, but you know what I mean? Yes. For lack of a better term. I think that we need to get past this gender separation because I don't think the Lord is really saying, um, I'm sorry, you have these particular genitals, so you cannot speak about me as a leader. Right. I think I dare us put God to limit him so much and to take half of humanity and say, you can't speak about him. I think it's a manifestation. I know this is probably controversial, but I just think it's a manifestation of misogynistic thought. It's just the way human thought and they're applying it to the church. And not every church believes that, you know, that's right. why you see it here and there, here and there. And I really think it's very old school. And I and I hope with enlightenment, you'll see what women bring to the table, not just being one, but what women bring to the table is equitable. You know, I definitely think there are gender different, there are gender differences because they're gender differences. But when we are talking about the love of God, the praise of God, you know, I don't think that we should shut up a voice. We need to add more voices. Okay. So now I'm going to, Bring it back uh, to this. Mm -hmm. Malcolm X and the Honorable Malcolm X and the Honorable James Baldwin. Might have been one other person, but I don't want to misquote. Says that the most segregated time in American mm -hmm. history. I think that was Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King. I, he yeah. came to my mind, but <laughs> I didn't right. want to say. So all three of them said this. Okay. Uh -huh. The most segregated time is Sunday during church. That's right. How do we uh, how do we address that? First we acknowledge it just like they did, you know. 
You know, for a long time, religion was used to control us. And religion can control. And to do something religiously means to do it over and over and over and over. I'm a person that believes in faith. You know, religion, organized religion, even though I am totally committed to it, I recognize its difficulties. And when we think historically, we weren't even Christians when they brought us over here. But we recognize ourselves in this redemptive story. So we brought it to ourselves and we made it ourselves. Everything was segregated. The church is a microcosm of everything. But the dichotomy in it all is that the church is supposed to be about Christ and love and acceptance. It's not supposed to say, you gay people stay away from here. You you women stay away from here. You people that drink stay away. You whoremongers, you stay away from here. It's supposed to be, you come in here and learn something different. All We're of supposed you. to be welcoming. We're supposed to be, let all of us come in. You know, and maybe if you don't want to be different, we will still love you. That's it. We will still love you. And so, if you look how church is used to manipulate How can people in the same breath say that Donald Trump is a messenger of God? That's absolutely profound to me. Mm. You know, someone who has represented Nazi-esque ways of being and organizing. Mm. You know, this has nothing to do with God. It has to do with control and power. Mm. See, then you get, then church and religion often has control and power elements as well. Yeah, I think of Rome. So I didn't answer. I did not answer your question specifically, but I answered it more from a, my place of being. You know, definitely. I think, so, yeah, so, it's, so, it's, do you think if 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 we found a way to to cross culturally, cross ethnically, cross genderally, and all the other isms pray together, things could actually shift. Yes, we need to know each other. This is the biggest problem. We don't know each other. What we know are stereotypes of Black men that we see on the news. What we know are stereotypes of Black women, of Asians, of Native Americans. All We know what we've been fed, and we've been fed this from the upper caste culture. Because if we ever decided, and this is what Martin Luther King did with the Poor People's Campaign, if we ever decided that we have more in common than we do, and people of color and poor people got together, it would be a powerful moment. I mean, things would change. But until that happens, we need to know each other. This is, to me, is one of the gifts of going to a church that doesn't look like where I grew up, you know, where there are Black people, where there is majority white, but there are Black people, there are Asian people, there are gay people, there are straight people, there's men and women, leaders, there's everything, you know. And um, what happens when you know each other? They start being human. When they start being human, it is more difficult to hate. It is easier to hate an idea of what you think that human is than it is to know that basically what we all want to do is wake up in the morning, take care of our children, make sure they have good lives, go do good in the world, and then pass on to give room for somebody else. That's what most of us want to do. 
But you don't know that unless you know each other. That's the hardest step. That's right. That's right. So now tell us about this Monday night concert you've been hosting (laughs) for the last several months. Oh, my Lord. This is one of my favorite things ever. I get to, I get to hang out with my friends, so many of my musician friends, and meet new ones. It's called Music Mondays at Govins. And Govins Presbyterian Church is where I, where I work and um, serve. And what we do every Monday, every Monday evening, because you know this is wild every Monday, except the ones we don't. But usually every <laughs> Monday evening, we have an artist come in. And bring their music, bring their culture, bring whatever they want to a vast audience because now we're in Zoom. This is this is one of the things that is a strange positive because I can get my friends from France, even though it's one o'clock in the morning for them. But I can get my friends from France to come in and do a concert. Or I can get Lamont Jack Pearlie, you know, to come in and blow everybody's mind with his family. I get the, every, the, it is so multicultural. It's so, multicultural is a buzzword, but it's so dynamically diverse in all its so many ways. And it's very intentional. It didn't happen by, oh, let's, you know, let's do a concert. And then we have 30 acts that all look the same. Every right. week is different. Right. And so I think this is wonderful because, again, we have an audience that can come in from anywhere. So anyone listening right now can come and join us on Monday evenings or we can um, have just an intimate group of folks who are joining around the Zoom table. We're sitting on a Zoom porch, the Zoom front porch. But it feels we were we were last night was Music Mondays and we were commenting on how remarkably intimate it can feel. You know, Sometimes these little boxes, we get tired of being inside these little boxes. And musicians, we don't have really much choice right now, you know, and because we need to get this thing under control. Right. But there are moments where you feel so close to each other inside the Zoom room. It's like I could I felt a great catharsis last night with with our presenter and it was just such a blessing. I just am glad that we have this technology and all the like ones. Yes. Yes. So with, with that what would be the thing that you want people to receive the most from all of your works? Hmm. Wow. I want people to know that they are worth it. That their light is as bright as anyone else's. And if you need a reminder, call me. Let me know. I want, I just want people to know that they matter. That's it. Amen. Well, I, I I I really appreciate that you took the time to sit with me in Women's Month because we celebrate yeah. in women and and chop it up. And we have to do this again. Oh, I'd love to. You know, I'm your biggest fan. Oh, really. Thank you. <laughs> you know that. Thank you so yeah, much. You're so on point. And I thank you for that. your thank you for your voice. Thank you for your uncompromising voice. It's so important. It's exceptionally important. Um, outside of the internet, you, you're just such a dynamic representation 
of what we as African-Americans are. And you're pushed to make sure that that narrative doesn't get messed up. I admire that deeply. (laughs) I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And you know I'm here. I I do. Continue praying for me. (laughs) Right. I will. And you know, because I was like, I'm no star. I'm not, I I didn't, um, I'm not the daughter of someone famous, you know, of a blues musician. I'm not, I wasn't connected to anything. I'm like tangentially related to everything. But I know how much I love this music. And so when you stand up for the people who create it and who who are the perpetuators of this music, it means so much to me and to so many others. So you keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. No My pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. And, you know, I, I apologize to the people who are looking at this because I never know where to look on Zoom, really. So well, I'll probably up and down. <laughs> don't worry, so am I. <laughs> and I worry about that because I'm like, I hope she knows I'm looking at her and listening no, to I her. No, I see you. Don't okay, you? Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before we go, tell the people where they can follow you. They can follow any of your pages and these things like this. Okay, you can um, follow me. I have a new website. It's up and it'll be fully loaded in May. And it's just Leah Gilmore, my name, no H. L-E-A-G-I-L-M-O-R-E dot net. And you can find me on Facebook. Not much on Instagram, but I'm I try. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm there. And you can find me at Govins Presbyterian Churches on the internet, um, govinspres.org, all lowercase. And you can see our new racial mini- racial justice ministry and also the music ministry. Yes. Right. And and oh, and your music, your 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 Facebook group page. Oh yes, that's the Umoja Musica page. Umoja Musica page where you can, where mostly we just post music we love, but music from all over the world, a diversity of music. But you can also find out about the project at the Umoja Musica page on Facebook. Musica, M-U-S-I-C-A. There you go. Groovy. Thank you so much. Groovy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Love to your family. <laughs> <laughs>